Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Hi there, this is Pastor Sherman Burkhead, and this is Grace in Truth, a devotion that is meant to encourage you, but also to challenge you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ through a time in the Word and time in prayer. And today is April the 23rd, 2020, and it is a gorgeous day outside. It is so beautiful. All I can think about is going fishing, but alas, I'm not going to be able to do that. In fact, it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. But even though I can't go fishing, I am still grateful to God. Today, I am grateful to God, specifically for the gift of music. Because think about this, God has ordained, God has decreed, God has declared for us to glorify him and to worship him through singing and through music. Now understand, worship is not just music and singing. Worship is much more than that. It's reading of the word, it's the preaching of the word, it's listening to the word being preached. Worship is giving, worship is our fellowship, but in fact, all of life itself is worship, including our work and the way that we raise our children and all the things that we do that are supposed to be dedicated to God, that's worship. But an important component of regular corporate worship is music and singing. And what a gift it is that God has decided that's how we should glorify him. We glorify God by singing songs like, All I Have is Christ, or In Christ Alone, or Come Thou Fount, or Behold Our God. Literally thousands of songs that declare the goodness and the excellencies of God. Songs that declare the gospel. Songs that declare the truth about who God is. And what a wonderful way for God to ordain for us to worship him. All right, Because not only does he cause us to worship him right, this way, but songs like this strengthen us. It helps us to draw closer to him. To him. It encourages us. It lifts our hearts to heaven. Again, what a wonderful gift that God has given us. What a wonderful God we serve. And I am so very grateful to him for the gift of music, especially the gift of music we use to worship him. But what about you? What are you grateful to God for? And as always, I want to hear from you. I'd like to know what you're grateful to God for. During these times, especially when it seems like so many things are going wrong, I know that you have a lot to be grateful for, and I'd certainly like to hear from you. And I'd like to hear if you have questions about faith or about the Bible, or even if maybe you want to know how you too can have a relationship with Christ. Please reach out to me here on Facebook. You can message me or put something in the comments here, or you can email me at fbcboron at gmail.com, or you can call me at the office at 760-762-5149. I would like to hear from somebody other than the telemarketers who keep calling around here. So, but with that, um, if you have a Bible, please take it out and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses 16 and 17, verses that should be very familiar to you. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and the word of the Lord reads like this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the men of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now yesterday, I had a chance to like talk about this scripture because I talked to someone about the gospel and they asked me the question, you know, 
that I've heard many times in my Christian life, but it's a question that many uh, many Christians struggle to answer. And it's the question is, is, is how do you know that the Bible is true? That's usually the question that people who struggle to come to faith will ask you. And it's an important question because the fact of the matter is we stake our lives and our eternity on what the Bible actually says. So how do we know that it's true? How do we know that it's accurate? How do we know what is written down is actually the word of God, right? Because it's because that's what we believe it is, right? That's what we believe. Paul says all scripture is theanustos, which is the Greek word, or in other words, it is the breath of God. It is God exhaling. That's what you do when you speak, you exhale, right? So the Bible is God's word, and that includes the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, as Peter himself affirms that what even Paul was writing down was scripture. Second Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 says this, and count the patience of our Lord is salvation, just as our beloved bro- uh, brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, because God gave him supernatural wisdom, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter very clearly understood that what Paul was writing down was inspired or the word of God. And so clearly the apostles and the scriptures claim that the Bible is the word of the living God. And we believe it to be so. We believe it to be God's word. And theologically speaking, we believe that the Bible is inerrant or without error, that it's infallible, which means it's unfailing and it's sufficient. It's the sufficient word of God. And it's the standard by which we measure all truth. It's the standard by which we measure, you know, faith in practice, right? As we, as Protestants believe in sola scriptura, scripture alone is our authority, right? That's what we believe. Now, why then do we believe this? And the answer to this question really has two facets to it. The, the evidential answer, which is based on the evidence, and then you have the theological answer, which is based on who God is and who man is. And so let's just quickly start with the evidential answer. We can believe the Bible is God's word because, simply because of the evidence. Now there's there's a lot of evidence to support the notion that the Bible is, in fact, God's inspired word. And, and really, there's more to cover than I can cover here in this short devotion. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a lot of resources in the description of this video in the in the comment section there. And, 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 and what you can do is you can click on the links and do some more of your own homework. And there's even more than that that I can even include. But, but I can at least give you today a few things to think about with respect to the evidence. Because as I said, there's lots of evidence to support the fact that the Bible is God's word and that the Bible is trustworthy. For example, you have the fact that the Bible is logically consistent. It is consistent. It's a consistent story from beginning to end. When you read the Bible, you will find consistent logical themes that run through the entire book, like the nature of God. God is sovereign. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. There is no darkness in him. He is the light. He is love. He's also full of, of wrath and justice as well. Right? And then you have the consistent testimony about man, that man right, was, was initially created in the image of God and perfect, but then fell and all of mankind then has fallen. And you see that consistently throughout the entire Bible. 
You have truths about sin and redemption that are consistent. And then when you read the Bible, you see that there, from the beginning to the end, there's this consistent story being told of the redemption of mankind, that God is glorifying himself through the redemption of mankind. And you can see Christ himself in just about every text of the Bible from beginning to end. And so it's internally and logically consistent. You also then have the evidence of the fact that the Bible is historically and archeologically accurate. This is astounding, right? Almost all the places in the Bible, virtually almost all the places in the Bible and, and the people that were recorded in the Bible have been validated by archaeology and history itself. In fact, there has never been, of all the thousands and thousands and thousands of archaeological digs in the Middle East, right? there has never been any archaeological find that disproves any detail of the Bible, but actually confirms detail after detail after detail. Not to mention, you can actually today go to places like Jerusalem, and, and you can stand on the Temple Mount. right? You can go to Nazareth, you can go to Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus Christ. You can go to Jericho and see the place where the walls fell down. The Bible is historically accurate. There's also the evidence for fulfilled prophecies, fulfilled specific prophecies. And I'm not talking about one or two. We're talking about thousands of prophecies in the Bible that have been fulfilled in time and space. From the fall of the Babylonian Empire to the rising of the Greek and Roman Empires to the birth of the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of those things are proven in detail in the Bible. Even the New Testament itself, where Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, he predicted that before AD 40, and then by AD 70, it had come to fruition. Jesus said, not one stone will be left on top of another, and that's exactly what happened. It happened exactly the way Jesus said years before. Then you have the manuscript evidence on top of that. All right, we have right now in our possession more ancient copies of the Bible than any other book in antiquity. And it's not even close. I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of ancient documents, ancient manuscripts. And, there's, and, and they continue to find them as, as they, they do more and more archaeological research, right? And even more than that, we have some of the earliest possible copies. In fact, there exists right now a fragment of the Gospel of John that can be dated within 125 to 175 AD, right? That is within 100 years of the life and death and resurrection of Christ, and that's within 50 to 75 years of the actual writing of the Gospel by John himself, right? That's astounding. And again, there's nothing like that in ancient literature even close. Most most ancient documents, the, the earliest that they have is within a thousand years or more of the original writing. And we have something within 50 to 75 years. It's incredible, the evidence. And I can go on and on and on and on, but, but I think Vody Bauckham sums this, this subject up very, very well. He says, I choose to believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claimed that their writing were divine rather than human in origin. That's, that's Vody Bauckham's words. And, and I agree with Vody Bauckham completely on this. And, and I personally find the evidence for the truth and the reliability of the Bible to be overwhelming. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. And again, I could, we could spend hours on this particular subject, but, but here's, here's the overriding problem. When you're talking to someone who doesn't believe, 
The amount of evidence, <laughs> if a person decides not to believe it, doesn't matter. And that's just the bottom line truth. There are people who are so skeptical and whose hearts are so hardened that they will never believe the Bible, no matter how much evidence there is. Even, even if you mount it up and answer all their questions, right, you will, they will never, ever believe. It's like the resurrection of Christ. I don't know if you realize, but the resurrection of Christ is the best attested to historical evidence I mean, event in all of history, in all of antiquity. There is more evidence for the resurrection of Christ than any other ancient event. It's If it wasn't the resurrection, then people wouldn't even dispute it. The reason why people don't believe the resurrection isn't because of the evidence. It's simply because they refuse to allow for a supernatural explanation like the resurrection. They have made the decision that it just can't possibly happen. And so they by by default just rule it out and it's the same way with people with the bible they decide that they the bible just can't be true and it can't be reliable and it can't be the word of god which then leads to the theological answer of why i know for a fact the bible to be true which said which which is as paul says in romans chapter one right romans chapter one is one of the most important uh, chapters in the bible with respect to the gospel because it really tells us about who people are Paul says that there's no such thing as an atheist. Everyone knows God exists, right? They just suppress the truth. In fact, Paul says it like this. In Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and un ungodliness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They are actively holding down the truth. And then he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. They know the truth. It's evident everywhere. In fact, he says his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although, and notice this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they just refused to believe in God and they found something else to believe in. The fact of the matter is all mankind knows the truth and they know that God exists. But because their hearts are hard, they resist the truth. The only way that a person will acknowledge the truth about God and about the resurrection and even about the Bible itself is for God to change our hearts. As the late R.C. Sproul once wrote, of course some theologians have said that with all of the evidence there is that scripture is true we can truly we can truly embrace it only when the holy spirit works in us to overcome our biases and prejudices against scripture and against god he says in theology this is called the internal testimony of the holy spirit and then he goes on and says i want to stress that at this point that, that when the Holy Spirit helps me to see the truth of the scripture and to embrace the truth of the scripture, it's not because the Holy Spirit is giving me special insight that he doesn't give to someone else or he's giving me special information that nobody else can have. All the Holy Spirit does is change my heart, changing my disposition toward the evidence that is already there. 
I think that God himself has planted within the scripture an internal consistency that bears the witness that this is his word. And I concur with that. When I was an atheist, when I decided I didn't want to believe, I rejected the Bible, I rejected the gospel, I rejected Christianity. But then, as you know my story, God changed my heart, right? And he saved me. And the moment that happened, and the moment that I received and heard the gospel, right, I, could, I knew the Bible to be true, even if I couldn't explain why. And that's it's the same for everyone else. Now, with all of that, <laughs> the bottom line truth for you and your life and for your experience today is this. Number one, the Bible is God's word, and you can be absolutely confident in that and stand on that and live in that. Number two, it is your job to tell people about the Bible and about the gospel, and it's your job to call them to repent and believe. Number three, to the best of your ability, you should answer their questions or at least point them to resources to answer those questions if you can. You should know why you believe what you believe. You should know why you believe the Bible. And, and, and as the Bible says, you should be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, right? But then number four, understand it's not your job to make them believe it. It's not your job to make someone else believe the Bible or believe the gospel, because here is the truth. You can't, you can't make them believe it, right? You can share the truth. You can answer their questions, but you can't make them believe it. Only God can. In order for someone to believe the Bible and believe the gospel, God must change their heart. That's why we say here at First Baptist Church, over and over again, as Christians, your job is to sow the seed over and over and over again and consistently sow the seed and love the people. Let the light of Christ be, sh be shining through you in the way that you love people unconditionally, the way Christ loved you, and that you would pray that God would change their hearts because only he can, and then never, ever give up on them, continually sowing the seed and loving them and praying for them. And then you let God be God because salvation ultimately is his work. And we know that to be true because that's what his word, which is also true, teaches us. I hope that this particular little subject is encouraging to you, but it also encourages you to grow in your understanding of this. And I would certainly ask, or at least hope that you would check out the resources I provided for you. Maybe even watch the videos, especially when Bodhi Bakum kind of goes through his defense of the of the scriptures. I think it would it will edify you and strengthen you as a Christian. But with that, let us come before the Lord and let us pray. Father, we today are continuing this this habit of coming before you in a time in the word and in time in prayer. And that all of us, Lord God, are coming together with one mind and one heart and one spirit coming before you to lift up our country and our community and our families. That Father, that you would put an end to this virus, that you, Lord God, would help it to, that you, Lord God, would, would bring it to a swift end. And that, Father, you would protect those who have contracted the virus and, and that, that, that are afflicted by it, that you would heal them, Lord God, and get them the medical attention that they need and that you would heal them supernaturally, Lord. We pray for the frontline workers that you'd protect them and keep them safe. 
the doctors, the nurses, the, the healthcare workers, anybody that's that's in that field. We pray for the, the essential workers, people in the grocery stores and the restaurants and, and the hardware stores and all those places where they still come in contact with the public. I pray you'd protect them and keep them safe as well. We pray, Lord God, for the afflicted financially, Lord, as we see that the markets are are really devastated and, and, and unemployment is rising, that there's going to be economic fallout because of this. I just pray, Father, that we would just continue to look to you as our our provider during those times. We know for a fact that we can depend on you. Father, I also pray for um, the students during this time um, and the teachers, Lord God, as, as, as people struggle with this. They struggle with the fact that education is a, is a difficult a difficult um, subject right now. That how do you keep these kids in school and educate them at the same time they don't have really access to their instructors the way that they normally would? Um, how do we educate these kids, Lord, without overwhelming them where they're having to spend, you know, eight hours a day sitting at a table trying to concentrate and do homework, Lord. I pray for wisdom from the educators. I pray for wisdom from the teachers that they would they would certainly help these kids grow, but at the same time, not overwhelm their lives and overwhelm their families. I pray, Father God, for a change there. And I pray for these kids, Lord, that you would just help them get through this. And I pray for the seniors who really are having a difficult time. This is the time of year that they've been looking forward to all their, their young adult life. And I just pray that you'd strengthen them through that. I pray, Father, you would glorify yourself in that as well. I pray for this country. I pray for revival. I pray, Lord God, for your hope to reign supreme in our in our country. And I pray, Father God, that you would give more people around us a changed heart so they could see the truth of the Bible and that they would repent and believe the gospel. We're praying, Lord God, that we would go out and be the people you're calling us to be, to storm the gates of hell for your glory. And that, Father, that you'd go before us making our path straight. And that, Father, then all we do, you would be glorified. We thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And please, as always, know that you were loved, you were prayed for, and you are deeply missed. Grace and peace. We will see you soon. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.